Amen. And it's great to be in God's house this morning. Come on, let's all stand and worship him. Amen. You guys ready to worship Jesus? Come on. Hey. Oh, oh, oh. Come on, put your hands together. Casting my cares aside. Come on. I'm leaving my past behind. I'm letting my heart and mind on you, Jesus. Oh, I'm reaching my hands to yours. Believing there's so much more. Yeah. Knowing that all you have in store for me is good. Do you believe it? It's good. Today is the day you have made. And I will rejoice and be
we serve a big God this morning. Hey. for salvation. Do you thankful for life, for healing, for his power? Amen. Amen. Lord, we're so thankful that you have been so good to us, oh God. But Lord, you have been faithful. You have been faithful, Lord. And we're so thankful, Father, for all the things that you're doing. Lord, in spite of everything that's going on in this world, in our country, Lord, you still remain faithful. You are still God that is sitting on the throne. And Lord, I know that you're not up there just twiddling your thumbs. Lord, you have a plan for us. And Lord, I'm so thankful that we have the hope in you. As a body of believers, that we have hope in you, Lord. We're so thankful for your faithfulness, for your mercy. There's uh, some close friends of ours here in our church, and uh, the Zondervans. And um, Randy's mother, her name is Marge. She is not doing well. She's been battling cancer, and she's uh, in the comfort home, the comfort house in Pella, and it just can be days now. And uh, so for the last several days, there's been a group of people that have just gathered outside of her window in the parking lot just singing worship songs, and we had the privilege of going there last Friday and just joining in. And they just have this little speaker and everybody's just singing. And uh, this next song that we're going to be doing, they didn't do. <laughs> but I thought such, um, and even talking with my parents last night, my wife and I were with my, my parents last night, and just talking about the faithfulness of God. And just how there's, you know, for some of us, there's, you know, not as many years in front of us as there were behind us. And... Um, but just thinking of the faithfulness of God, his goodness, his mercy, that even though that we have may failed in our lives, so many times that we've stumbled, so many times that we've struggled, so many times that we've maybe possibly have even blamed God, yet he has been faithful throughout the ages, throughout our generations. And I'm so thankful for that. Let's sing this song this morning. Let's just worship him. I would love for us just to lift our hands to him and just magnify his name this morning. Amen. Come on.
Come on, sing it to him this morning. All my life you have been
sing that chorus again.
thankful for the hope that we have in Jesus or the shelter that we have in you
There is freedom in the name. There's healing in the name. There is power in the name. Do you believe it? Salvation. Come on, I want you to sing it with me and declare it. There is life in the name. There is no other name but Jesus. Come on, I want you to sing it again. lifted. You are all we need, oh God. You are all we need, Jesus. You are all we need, oh God. Father, we're so thankful for your presence. So thankful for your spirit that's in here, oh God. Lord, I pray that we open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand, but Lord, more importantly, may we open our ears and our hearts to receive your word. In your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Give someone an air high five this morning. Amen. It's great to have everybody here. to see your smiling faces and just as good to see the frowning ones. Good to see you here this morning. It's a strange time. And one of the strange things that just came to light a couple weeks ago is that we've not officially introduced to you the new members of our staff. So I'm going to ask the Benias to come to the platform. They've been here about five years now. No, it seems like that with Corona and all the stuff that's going on, but I want you to welcome our young adult 
pastors, Lewis and Savannah, Bania with Felix, Xander, and Cohen. And so I've asked them to give you, a, and I've said this to any credential holder, a brief greeting. <laughs> well, good morning, Breen. Uh, it is so good to, to be here. Uh, we were very excited to, to move here, to be a part of, of Berean and, and get to know Iowa. And, uh, and then everything shut down. And, uh, but uh, we are, we're glad to finally be able to start to, to meet to people. Uh, we are real. It wasn't a, <laughs> we didn't make this up. Uh, uh, but we are, we're blessed. Uh, from the moment we came to visit the church, uh, we knew this is where we needed to be. It, it felt just like home. And so we are glad to be here. Thank you for, for how welcoming all of you all have been, and we look forward to getting to know all of you. Amen, amen. Savannah, do you want to say hello? No? Hello. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hi, guys. If given the opportunity to talk, he will take he it. He will talk. All right, give him a big hand. Yeah. Amen. I, I want to take just a minute um, to pastoral chat again. Um, this world we're living in is constantly changing. And I just need you to know we're doing the best that we can to do the things that are right to keep the doors open. So I don't know if you're familiar with what's happening, but in what I would consider a landmark ruling, the Supreme Court just ruled this past week against two churches who have filed suit against the state of California. The state of California has ruled that churches can meet at 25% of capacity or 100 in attendance, whichever number is less. Two churches with another organization filed suit, and the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the state of California. The majority position on a 5-4 to four vote was written by Justice Roberts, and the minority report was written by Justice Kavanaugh, and Justice Roberts basically rebuked Justice Kavanaugh for trying to make it a religious rights issue rather than a public health issue. So what that does nationwide is it puts attention on the church. And in the commentary that follows, the rationale is this, that churches are responsible for a number of coronavirus outbreaks across the country. Okay, that is not defendable, nor is that provable, but it doesn't matter. The Supreme Court has always ruled as it wills, not always in the realm of reality. Is anybody hearing me this morning? So I understand that, and I have said it's a public health issue, but we need to be very careful. And so we're going to continue to try to expand, and you've done a great job this morning. But I thought, if you're together, I'm not going to police this. If you're together as a family or people that hang out together regularly, you can sit together. That's not a problem. But I did notice as people are coming in, sometimes we're going to have to make some room. And if you're not family or regularly together, if you could keep two to three chairs between you. So what does that mean? I know when I come early, I want an aisle seat. Hello? So it may be that you would have to move over a couple seats. And I just would want us to know that if you come in and sit down and someone moves away, they still like you. Okay? They still like you. So we might have to do some of that adjustment, just trying to keep us safe, honestly, and um, the attention office government-wise. And I want to publicly say, whether you agree or disagree, I don't care. I have the mic. 
I appreciate the way our governor has led the state of Iowa through this time. I really, really do. Have I agreed with every decision? No. But that's the difference between being a governor and a pastor because as a pastor, everybody always agrees with all of my decisions. <laughs> if you believe that I have a bridge, I'd like to sell you immediately after the service. So I understand the task of leadership, but do you know what our world really needs right now in these troubled times that we're living in? And I'm going to refer to this at the end of the service, but I want to set the video up this way. Franklin Graham has called the church to a day of prayer because of the riots that are ripping our nation apart. I tend to avoid politically charged statements from the pulpit knowing that we have people across the spectrum. I am not here in the pulpit to be a political voice, okay? But there are times I feel constrained to speak, and this is one of those. You cannot... This is my opinion. You cannot cry out against the riots without crying out against the murder. And racism in America is still alive and well. And I was horrified and sickened when I watched the video of what happened in Minneapolis. But here's what does happen. Evil always begets evil. And evil people will look for someone else's evil to excuse their expressions of evil. And what's happening now with riots that are looting are simply expressions of evil that are coming in an environment that is stressed because of corona and looking for an outlet for all of those frustrations and their own agenda. The cause of racism is not helped by stealing a TV from Target. But if you're going to yell about the TV being stolen from Target, you need to also cry out. It's time for their church to cry out against injustice in the streets. And I'm just going to tell you this morning, I have not in my history as an American been more outraged than watching a handcuffed black American held to the ground, handcuffed by three police officers, one with his knee to his neck, which is a sure way to kill him. It's time for the church to cry out against injustice. And if you want to do something more than pray, the Bible says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, this is a time to let our voices be heard. As a Christian, as an American, I'm outraged by what happened to that man in Minneapolis. Amen. And as an American and a Christian, I'm outraged by rioting under the name of fighting racism. He has showed the old man what is good and what does the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with our God. This is not a political position. It is a moral one. And if you are pro-life, you need to be pro-life in this case as much as you are in the pre-born. Okay? So my challenge to you as we pray, what does our world need? Our world needs Jesus. 
And if there ever was a time for the church to rise up and proclaim the ultimate message of love, it's this hour that we live in to say this is evidence that a broken, fallen world needs a redeemer. And the church must say that while evil begets evil, we're committed to overcoming evil with good. That is the rule of faith that we will live by. So let's believe God to help us be an evangelistic voice and let your voice be sounded in a rational biblically based way against the moral injustice that happens. Third, I am thankful for every man and woman in blue that are taking their, putting their lives at risk to defend us. And they need our support because they're not all bad. Come on, I said they're not all bad. And you will see police officers ambushed in their cars again because evil begets evil. Pray for those in authority over us. Support them and voice that. And let's be the voice of righteousness in this generation. I'm calling you in a COVID crisis to be a voice of righteousness. Amen. Amen. I love Jesus. I love our nation. And our nation needs Jesus. Let's watch this video together. church look around we're coming back so if we're going to come back let's come back stronger anybody with me this morning let's come back stronger we've been in a series this is the last Sunday of this particular series and we've talked about what it means to come back stronger when the church has faced adversity the church has always come back stronger we talked week one In an era of hoarding toilet paper, let's develop a heart of generosity. Hello? Come on, help me this morning. You got to shout for 12 people this morning. You know, it is kind of interesting to me 
that on our record Sunday of over 800 in attendance, then we go into coronavirus, and I never thought a day would come that I'd celebrate a house half full. But I am so glad that you're here this morning. Let's develop a heart of generosity in a time of hoarding. Yeah, thank you. Second, in this time of isolation and quarantine, let's celebrate the solo dynamics of our faith and deepen our spiritual roots. Last week, we talked about dedicating our household to God. And this morning, I want to challenge you in this time of isolation, six-foot distancing and all that's going on, that we would design opportunities for evangelism. That in a time where we can't interact the way that we used to, the gospel has never had a six-foot isolation distance. The gospel has never been stopped by prison camps. It's never been stopped by isolation or disease. Anything that happens in this world has not been a force to stop the gospel. So in this time when things aren't normal, let's design opportunities to share the gospel because if it works now, it will always work. And there is a heart right now that's hungry for an answer that will sustain. There's an organization called Go 2020, a group of evangelical in alliance that had decided a couple of years ago, or maybe a year ago, I don't know the timeline, that the month of May 2020 would be a month of evangelism. In fact, they had a goal that churches would gather together on one Sunday in May and we'd see a million people come to faith in Christ. Well, the emphasis of Go 2020 hasn't ended, but obviously the methodology had to change and you're not hearing as much about churches gathering together to do evangelism because we can't do that. But Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel whether there's pandemic or not, whether there's communism or not, whether there's quarantine or not, how do we do that? How do we create that? How do we design opportunities for evangelism? What will the church look like after COVID-19? Well, first, I don't know that there'll be an after COVID-19. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is some of the changes that are happening now you will see continue as part of the culture following the pandemic. I don't think things are ever going to go back to normal the way they were before. There are going to be issues that we will deal with for a long time. So as we're dealing with those, rather than looking for a world to return to what it used to be, let's look at a world we can change for the cause of the kingdom today. Let's see it change today. Let's design some evangelistic opportunities. If we can reach them now, we'll be able to reach them then. So what does that mean? Number one, I want to encourage you in this time of coming back stronger that we as a body of believers need to begin to devise the means, to devise the means of evangelism. And it's a phrase that comes from 2 Samuel, and I want to take a minute to tell you the story. David and his son Absalom are estranged. How many of you remember the name Absalom? Anybody remember Absalom? You know that son of David's that tries to usurp the throne? Well, we're at a time where Absalom is estranged from David, and here's what's happened in a brief story. 
Absalom's sister, Tamar, was raped by a half-brother named Amnon. And David doesn't do anything about it except get mad. And Absalom is outraged that David hasn't done anything to defend his sister. And he devises a plot and assassinates his half-brother Amnon to avenge the sin against his sister. When that happens, Absalom has to flee for his life and go off the grid, whatever that meant in those days, and separate himself from the eye of the public. Absalom goes on the run. Now, Joab is a general of David's armies, and he's watching what's happening in this division between David and his son Absalom, who's gone into hiding. Because Absalom had a following at this stage, and Joab knows that if David and Absalom stay estranged, it's harming David, it's going to harm the kingdom, and he's got to find a way to bring them together. So he reaches out to a woman that's referred to in Scripture as a wise woman of Tekoa. How many of you would like to be a wise woman of Pleasant Hill? Known as a wise woman of Bondurant. How many of you would like to just be known as a wise woman in your own house? (laughs) So David is confronted by this wise woman of Tekoa, and she tells a parable. And in the parable, she sides with the wise woman of Tekoa in this fictitious story, and she says to David, why don't you do in your own household what you've ruled to be done in my household? And listen to what she says. Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises, I just love this verse. He devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. What is God doing right now? Listen to me. God is not devising means to send people to hell. He is not devising means to ruin their lives. When God looks at this broken world, he looks at each individual that is estranged from him, and God is devising means that his banished be not far from him, but be reunited with him. We should take comfort in that, that unsaved loved ones or unloved saved ones that are distant from God, that have drawn away from him, God knows where they are. And right now, I want you to think of someone that you know that's far from God And understand that right now, at this very moment, God is planning a way to bring them back. He's devising means to bring them back. He's putting things in their path and people in their way to bring them back. Because that's what God does. He devises means that is banished, be not banished from him. And if you can't say amen this morning, then you need Jesus in your heart. That's dancing ground. By the way, thank you for those gifts that represent who I am. 
on Facebook. Some of you saw those, those dancing ones. Those gifts dance better than I'll ever dance. God devises means. Let me give you some examples. Jesus died on the cross. Before the worlds were formed, he was in existence as the son of God. But Adam and Eve fell, and man was banished from him. What did God do? He devised a means. Are you hearing me right now? He devised a means for us to not be banished from him. What happened? His son put on human flesh, submitted himself to human tormentors, died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father. Why? Because God devised a means that is banished. Somebody ought to say amen this morning. He devised a means that is banished, be not banished from him. I read a story about a man named Paul. Before his name Paul, his name was Saul. And Saul was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church. And the church was in fear of Saul and his violence against the church. But you know what's happening during that time? (laughs) I'll do all the shouting if that's all right with you. He began to devise a means. Hello? He began to devise a means. It didn't come out of a book. It didn't come out of a handbook. It didn't come off the internet. But God looked at Saul, and one day while Saul's on the Damascus road, God knocks him to the ground, blinds him for three days, begins to speak to a prophet named Ananias. I want you to go and pray for brother Saul that he'll receive his sight. And Ananias goes in fear and trembling, lays hands on him, and Saul's eyes are opened. He commits himself to the Christ that he persecuted and becomes the great man of the New Testament that we all admire. Why? Because God devised a means to reach him. God devises means. I read about a man named Nathaniel. Philip and Nathanael were having a conversation, and Philip says, we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And Nathanael says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Come and see what's happening. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm about to blow up. You know what's happening? God is devising a means. He's devising a means that started while while Nathanael is under the fig tree, He walks up to him and says, uh, calls him good, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. How do you know who I am? Before you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And he responds in faith because God devises means that is banished be not far from him. I read about a man named Cornelius. He was a Gentile, a God-fearer who was praying that God would reveal himself. (laughs) And God said, I want you to send some some men to the house of one Simon the Tanner and and find a man named Peter there who's praying. Well, Peter is not at all ready to open the door to the Gentiles. 
So as they begin to come to the house of Simon the Tanner to bring Peter back with them, do you know what's happening? God is devising a means. And in a spiritual trance, Peter has a vision of unclean things to eat. And God says, Peter, what I've cleansed, don't you dare call coming. And when those men showed up, Peter went with them, and the gospel rained down on them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Why? Because God devises means that his banished be not far from him. I don't know your story, but whenever and wherever you came to Christ, you didn't just walk into a place and say, I think I want Jesus. You know what he did? He devised a means. I don't have time this morning to tell you my story of a boy in a church home that became a backslidden home, that became a broken home, and how God devised a means to move me from where I was to where he wanted me to be. And I am so thankful that our God devises means that his banished be not far from him. Every one of you in this house, every one of you watching online, every one of you have come to faith in Christ is a testimony of what the wise woman of Tekoa said. God devises means that is banished be not far from him. How many are you glad this morning that God devises means? God devises means. You know what else is happening in this, in this world? Satan has devised schemes. Satan has devised schemes. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and talking about the devil and the context is unforgiveness, both the principle is larger. The context is unforgiveness. And he warns about Satan taking advantage of you. And he says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Or another translation says, we're not ignorant of his schemes. Paul warns that Satan is looking to take advantage of us. And this isn't part of the message, but there's one thing, listen to me, church, there's one thing that Paul singles out that Satan's using to take advantage of us, and that's unforgiveness. When you have unforgiveness in your heart or life against anyone, you are subject to the, to the schemes of Satan. And so what we have to understand is while God is devising means, Satan is devising schemes to pull us away from God, to set us off the track and there's this heavenly warfare. That makes us pretty important uh, commodity in the eternal framework that the God who is devising means to draw us in is in battle with a devil who's devising schemes to pull us away. And that tension's going on every day, everywhere, all of the time. Evil purposes against us. So then, how does that get settled? God is devising means. Satan is devising schemes. It's our job to side with God and devise some means to reach people who can be touched by the means that God is devising. We are his hands, we are his feet, we are his voice. In every one of the stories that I told you, except for the Lord Jesus Christ, without another human being cooperating with the means that God had devised, there'd been no, no message reaching that lost person. 
We are that voice. So what's the calling on us? To devise a means. I could give you a hundred different ways to share the gospel. And it won't help you. (laughs) Is there anybody in the house this morning? Hello. You can't elbow them. They're six feet away. Point at them. What should we be doing? (laughs) Who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? You need to devise a means to reach them. There's a time to pray and there's a time to act. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead being alone. They have, to, they have to go together. So what should we be doing during this time of quarantine, isolation, separation, distancing? Who do you know that needs Jesus? And what means are you devising? God's devising means. Come on, help me now. Someone shout now. We should be devising means to reach them. My wife and I were having a conversation. I'll get back to this later, but just to say to you that God can speak to you about what to do, how to act, how to pray, how to respond if you'll seriously begin to devise a means to reach somebody. Could it be that Facebook, that The digital world has so opened up that it's an opportunity for you to devise a means. (laughs) I want to call you to that place. If you would simply agree this morning to say, Pastor, I'll begin to pray. God, show me a way to reach the ones you're reaching toward, that would be a home run for me. That would be a successful morning. We need to devise means. Second, we need to do the work. (laughs) We need to do the work. I read the story of a guy who didn't want to work. He said, why don't you work? He said, because when you work, you sweat. When you sweat, you stink. And who wants to stink? That's a mindset of a lot of people. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, as Paul writes to Timothy, but you keep your head in all situations. Some of us, that'd be great to have that on our bathroom mirror. Maybe, maybe on the rearview mirror of your car. Keep, keep your head. Have you all had a bad week? You're just looking at me like, I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> keep your head in all situations. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, I want to take this portion to clarify something before I talk about doing the work. There is in the Bible an office calling, a vocational calling of evangelist. And in the Assemblies of God, we call traveling preachers evangelists, and most of them are not. Most traveling preachers are not evangelists. Why? Because an evangelist 
is someone with a calling and a gifting to reach lost people. What do evangelists do in our world? They travel from place to place and preach to saved people. So we use the wrong name. What are they? They're legitimate, but most of the itinerant preachers in our world today are prophets, not evangelists. They come to stir up the church, but an evangelist has a heart and a passion and a gifting, and the greatest evangelist that I'm aware of in our generation was Billy Graham. If there ever was anyone called to the office of evangelist, it was Billy Graham. You can talk about Louis Palau. You can talk about some of the other names that were out there that have done a great work, but what was the thrust and life of his ministry? Billy Graham bought, brought more people to faith in Jesus Christ than any person that I know. That's what an evangelist does. And thank God for evangelists because there's some that are called to apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. You say, well, that lets me off. I'm not called to be an evangelist. So then we say, well, I've heard this all my life in ministry. Well, pastor, I just... I just don't have the gift of evangelism. Good. Good. Because they ain't one. There's no gift of evangelism in Scripture. There's the calling of an evangelist, but there's no gift of evangelism. Because for the rest of us, we don't need a gifting because we got a calling. And that calling happens at the end of the Gospels where Jesus says to all believers, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Who was that to? Everyone who believes that Jesus died, rose from the dead, and ascended to the Father. You don't have a gift because there isn't one. We've all been called to evangelism. Therefore, you have to do the work of evangelism. How many know it's work? <laughs> Somebody said it's not work if you like what you're doing. Yeah, I'm, I don't know that that's true. Because I enjoy doing some things that are a lot of work. Anybody else in the house know what I'm talking about? I mean, if our family's going to go on a vacation, it's going to be fun to go on a vacation. But I know I'm not going to be able to sit in my recliner and sip some iced tea and it all fix itself. There's a lot of work getting ready. How many know what I'm talking about? There's a lot of work going. There's more work getting back. And afterwards we say, that was fun. It's work because it's worth the reward. Amen. But it's work. So as an evangelist, you have a calling. As a believer, you have a different kind of calling to do the work of evangelism. You don't get off the hook. It's work, and you need to commit yourself to it, and you need to do it. And so if you're not, do you know, <laughs> oh, I think I need a song right here. Do you know what we call people that don't work? What else do we call them? Lazy and we call them bums. 
I think there's a whole new category of lazy bum Christians that aren't doing any work. <laughs> this is what happens when you just stare at me blankly. On Wednesday night, you can join us live for Bible study in James, and that's the thrust of everything that he's doing. Faith without works is dead. And if we want to reach this world, hear me, a lot of people, I've been trying not to do this, so I'm just going to go ahead. A lot of people want to pray about the problems in America, and we need to pray about the problems of America, but we also need to do something about the problems in America. Don't pray for the hungry if you're not ready to feed the hungry. Don't pray for the homeless if you're not ready to provide housing for the homeless. And don't pray against racism if you're not willing to speak out against it. Sometimes we have to do the work. <laughs> well, I thought this is a pretty good message. So, Number one, what we're going to devise the means, and then we're going to do the work. And then what are we going to do, all right? So watch this. this. This is headed somewhere, and we're about to end, all right? So devise the means, do the work, then what? Then the fun stuff happens. Then you deploy the power. Then you deploy the power. Devise the means, do the work, and then deploy the power. But you will receive power. This is Pentecost Sunday. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. There is power in Pentecost. The Pentecostal church is not a powerless church. The Pentecostal church is not a lazy church. The Pentecostal church is not a tired church. The Pentecostal church is a powerful church that understands the power of God to cast out devils, to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to preach the gospel to the poor, and to do the work of evangelism. We understand that we're not doing this alone. We have power that comes in the name of Jesus, and there's not a devil in hell that I'll ever face that has more power than the power of Pentecost. There's no battle I'll ever face that has more power than the power of Pentecost. We believe in a powerful God that sent the sound of a tornado, tons as of fire, and 3,000 come to faith on that day. Why? Because it is a powerful faith that we're part of. It's the power of Pentecostal faith. I don't, I don't have to sit and twiddle my thumbs and hope it gets better. I can devise the means. I can do the work. And then I go to the throne room and deploy the power. I just saw it. I got to tell you this. I, I, had a, I had something. Caroline had something happen this week that just... I stood there and looked in a girl's closet and wept. I was talking with Jonathan and Erica Bartholo. We're in their house. Said, you need to see our daughter's closet. They'd redone the whole downstairs and the basement. I don't want to go. Look in a girl's closet. Why would I want to do that? No, you got to go in and look. Okay. No, you got to go in and look. Go in and look. Dresses, clothes, whatever. And then there's an extension. And I saw a chair. Whew. 
and I saw a bulletin board. And I saw a Bible, and I saw markers. Do you know what I saw? I saw her war room. There's a young lady after the heart of God who said, I need a war room. I need a place where I can deploy the power of God. And would that the church would grab a hold of that. That's Pentecost, deploying the power of God in a dark, sinful, sin-cursed world. We have so emphasized the sign of Pentecost that we've forgotten the substance of Pentecost. Yes, you need to pray in tongues. Yes, you can pray in tongues. Yes, I'd love to talk to you about praying in tongues if you've never experienced that gift. But it's not about just praying in tongues. It's about praying in tongues so you can deploy the power. And you will receive power after the Holy Ghost comes on you. And you will be witnesses. And if there's no heart in you to reach the lost, you've never met the Holy Spirit. Because when he empowers you, there's a passion that wells up on the inside. That men and women, boys and girls are going to hell. And I have a way to settle that score. I have a way to fight that that fight. I'm going to devise a means. I'm going to do the work. And then I'm going to my war room and I'm going to deploy the power and see what Jesus will do in a lost dying world. Glory to God. Release a Pentecostal power. It's Pentecostal power that will change the world. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do in conclusion. I need to hold myself here. (laughs) David Gibson, U.S. Director of Go 2020, has asked all of us to pray for Bob every day. How many of you, without knowing where I'm going, can pray for Bob. I want you to pray for Bob every day. Who is Bob? It's a prayer outline for Pentecost Sunday. B is a burden for the lost every day. God, I get so callous. I get so, t- I get so irritated. People who aren't following Christ irritate me almost as much as people who are following Christ. Get my, you feel me? Pray for Bob. Number two, to pray for open doors. And number three, to pray for boldness to share. Pray for Bob every day. Go to your war room. What do we need to pray for? those demon-inspired looters on the streets stealing from other people. We need to pray for Bob. We need to pray for burden, opportunities, and boldness. What about all the injustice in our world? When you see that picture of that police officer's knee on that man's neck, what should you do? Pray for Bob, for burden for broken people, 
for opportunities to share and boldness to make an impact. The gospel is never restricted by temporal restrictions. Are you hearing me? The gospel is never restricted by temporal restrictions. And I want Berean to be a Pentecostal church that isn't satisfied with a worship buzz. But won't be satisfied till we have boldness in our impact on our world. And I'll tell you what, if you begin to pray with a broken heart for lost people, you'll find yourself come to a place where a whole other language will flow out of you. And you'll begin to pray organically in another language. Pray for Bob. If you'll pray for Bob, I want you to stand with me. God, help us devise means. Help us devise means. Take time to ask him right now to help you. Pray for God. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living spirit put someone on our hearts that we will join with you to devise a means to reach for the kingdom's sake 
Let us carry your nature, your heart, and your passion. Burn something deep. Burden our heart. Give us opportunities and boldness. I ask in Jesus' name. Let this be an Acts 1-8 Pentecostal church. Amen, amen, amen. You can be seated just for a moment. We're going to dismiss in an orderly fashion. Again, just trying to honor the guidelines that have been given to us. And so if you would not just leave right now, if you would do it in an orderly fashion, we'll start on this side and move our way across. When one section leaves, the next section can go, and the same in the balcony. And uh, we do have an offering box there, and God blesses people who tithe. And I want to take an opportunity to thank you for your faithful support, and some of you have done extra. I have laid awake at night wondering about how we're gonna make this work and what's gonna happen financially. But we ended the month of April in the black, which is a miracle. So don't stop now. Help us continue to reach and proclaim and touch and pray. And if you need anything, let us know. We'd love to help you any way that we can. So let's go ahead and begin to dismiss. Over here, you two get to lead the way. And this section, let there be some distancing. And we need you to do contrary to what we normally do. Just go ahead and leave the building. Get in your car. And you can be first in line to lunch. All right? So God bless you. Give somebody a hand wave. Give give them an air hug. And bless someone on your way out today. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.